Morning, y'all. Get this down for short people. Henry, you were supposed to move this down where it'd be for me. <laughs> it's good to always a great privilege to be able to bring the message of God to a congregation. I've, I haven't preached in a long time. It's been a while, so uh, I may be a little bit rusty. In fact, I'm sure I'm very rusty, but we won't be concerned about that. Uh, by the way, tonight uh, we're going to have uh, Brett Harrison. You're here, Brett. Uh, we'll be bringing us a message about the work that he's doing in Tanzania, uh, work that we help support. And I just... We'd be here and, uh, and hear that message tonight. We'd appreciate that. Let's see. Uh, you know, we have a we have a ladies' class uh, on Wednesday mornings during the uh, regular sessions. It'll begin again this September, and uh, that class has been going on in this congregation for well over fifty years. So it's kind of a tradition. And so we're still teaching that class. And uh, I promised the ladies, I told the ladies when we adjourn uh, for the summer that uh, this uh, class would be about, uh, we would be studying the prophets. Because uh, I like to study the prophets, basically. And I get to, do, I get to choose the subject. And I asked them, but they didn't tell me anything. So I just said, well, I'm going to study the prophets. So I hope that that will be pleasing to them. However, uh, I, I, I've already started. We're going to study from the book of Jeremiah this morning. Uh, I, 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 had, I was in a quandary about what to, t- what to preach on. I, I guess I had four or five subjects, and about two days ago I finally decided, well, actually, yesterday, uh, what I would actually preach on. And, and uh, it's, it, uh, I, I asked my wife for advice, and... Um, she said, preach on what you love, on the things you love. And I said, well, I can't preach on Isaiah. I think I've already done that somewhere. So I'm going to preach on Jeremiah. We're going to just kind of have an overview of the book or parts of the book anyway, because I think it's, it's very pertinent to today, really. If, if you really understand what's going on in our country and in our nation today, you can really see that, you know, people haven't changed. Mankind hasn't changed. From the very beginning, he's still the same creature that he always was. Uh, we need correction constantly. Uh, and man's uh, appetites and his desires uh, are the same now as they always were uh, in our day and time. And we can look back at these prophets and see the conditions that were uh, exhibited in both Israel and Judah and uh, see what uh, these prophets were talking about, uh, how these people had gone so far away from God, and yet they thought they were still in a good relationship with God, and they went farther and farther and farther away. And eventually, God would have to bring them into captivity. And this is what Jeremiah was to preach about. He was to go to Jerusalem and, and teach these people uh, about what God's judgment would be for them. Jeremiah became a prophet. He started his ministry in 626 B.C. We know that because it says in the 13th year of Josiah, 
is when he began to preach and, and to teach in, in Jerusalem. And Josiah at that time was only 21 years old. He had become king when he was 13. I mean, when he was 12 and thir- uh, 13, not 12, I've got the numbers all mixed up. He became king when he was eight years old. And uh, 13 years later, he was 21 when he, when, when, uh, when Jeremiah began to preach and teach. And God calls Jeremiah. We see this in the first chapter. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and he says to him in verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me. This is what Jeremiah says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. See, before you were born. God knew him in the womb. What's that say about babies in the womb? God knows them. God knows them. He knows who they are. They are people that God knows. He says, I adorned you a prophet to the nations. Then he said, I said, O Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Jeremiah thought he was just too young. He said, I'm just a kid. Nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to listen to me. Jeremiah was probably not more than 20 years old himself at this time. But he says, I can't. He was making an excuse. But God told him, you're going to do as I tell you to do. And you're going to preach. And you're going to be effective. And you're going to do the things that you need to do. Even as a youth, you'll be able to do God's word. And do God's will. So uh, Jeremiah started very young. And he would preach in Jerusalem for 40 years. From 626 to 586. Until the people were carried off into Babylon. 40 years he would preach the same message over and over again. Repent and come back to God. And they never listened. They never followed what he said. And so, let's turn over now to chapter 3. In verse, since we go through this, uh, I hope everyone has a Bible and follows me. I don't do uh, computer, okay? I don't do the stuff, so I wouldn't have anything on the screen if it was there. But in chapter 3, in verses uh, 7, I want you to look at this. Is what they, these people would never be able to say. You know, when they were carried off into Babylon, a lot of them, a lot of them had the idea that, well, our God isn't strong enough to protect us. Our God isn't a powerful God, and maybe the God of the Babylonians was stronger than our God. Uh, and God sent them Ezekiel. Ezekiel was already was there uh, to tell them and show them that the reason they were in captivity was because of their sin, that God had become their enemy. Uh, because of their sin. And so they couldn't blame that. And they couldn't blame the, the idea that we didn't know what God would do about this. But look at verse 7 of chapter 3. Where he says, he's talking about the northern uh, the northern kingdom here. You know, this is during the period of the separated kingdoms. Where he had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And he says, let's begin verse 6 in, uh, in chapter 3. I'm sorry. The Lord said also to me to the, in the days of Josiah the king, Have you 
Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? He's talking about the northern kingdom. She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. In other words, they were worshiping idols. And I said after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. You see, they had they already had this example. God had preached by Isaiah and other pre, other preachers, Amos, others that preached to these people and told them what God was going to do, that God was going to punish them for what they were doing. And they got carried off by the Assyrians in the year 720. Carried off never to return. A few of them straggled back, but as a nation, they never existed again. God carried them into Assyrian captivity. And those in Jerusalem, those in Judea, they saw it. They saw what happened. Isaiah himself was a witness of it all. They saw what happened to the northern kingdom. And it didn't teach them anything. And he says that they were more treacherous even than the northern kingdom, who was, which was idolatry from the time it was formed. You know, under Jeroboam, they, 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 were, they were an idolatrous nation from the time they were formed. He says, you are worse than they are because you saw what happened to them and you didn't learn a thing about it. What is it someone once said? If we don't learn from history, we're bound to repeat it. History is very important for us to understand. And the history of these people is very important for us as Christians to understand. God keeps his promises. And we say that, we always say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about heaven. God's promised heaven. He's also promised judgment. And we have to keep that in mind as well. When God says there'll come a day when I judge you all. He will do that. We will, every single one of us, face the judgment. Either when Jesus returns or when we die. Hebrews 9.27 says, "Is kind of man wants to die and then the judgment. You know, after you're, after you're dead, after you die, you're not going to be able to change anything. You can't go back and live your life again. You can't go back and repent. It's too late. It's too late. Time was running out. They said the same thing about about Israel. Their time ran out and God carried them off. They were carried off by the Assyrians, but God was the one that caused it. We have to understand that judgment. Jesus, uh, Paul said in in uh, Acts uh, 17, verse 30, 31, he said in the times past, God overlooked these things. But now, in these days, he has called on all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. And he has given us full assurance in that he raised him from the dead. You really believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? We have the witnesses. We have all the evidence we need. It happened. There's no question that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If you believe anything in the Bible, you have to believe that. If Jesus was really raised from the dead, and he was, 
that means there also is a day appointed for judgment. We have to keep that in mind. It's a terrible thing to think about, but it will happen. We want to be on the right side when that judgment comes. Your your treacherous sister, Judah. He calls Judah, the southern kingdom, treacherous in this scripture. So he says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it's what he tells Jeremiah Jeremiah to say, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now, see now and know and seek in her open places. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, that is justice. These meanings, justice, righteousness, justice, who seeks the truth. And I will pardon her. Though, I, though they say as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. He says, if you, you seek out a man, if you can find one man that seeks justice, then I will pardon him. You know, that's even a... Uh, Less than more than uh, Abraham. Abraham, God told him to go to to uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It said, if you can find ten people in those cities, ten people, just ten people that are righteous in those cities, then I'll pardon that city. He gave him a bigger standard. He would find ten of them. He couldn't find one, and God destroyed those cities. So this is this is part of what he's talking about here. He says, can you find one? Can you find one? Jeremiah became Israel's Diogenes. You know, Diogenes was the the Greek in in ancient Greece that searched the city of Athens with a lantern to find one righteous man. One man that was honest. He was looking for just an honest man. And he couldn't find one. Not one in all of Athens. In the same way here, there wasn't an honest man. In all of Judah, all of Jerusalem, where he searched for one and could not find it. So I wonder today, if we searched our cities and our towns and our country, how many honest people would we find? Really, a truly honest people. You know, we're going astray. We're going astray very, very quickly. Look at uh, chapter 6 and verse 16. This is a this is a verse uh, that that I think is is, is uh, we we quote this quite often and it's it's a really it's a really good verse to study. And in chapter six, verse sixteen, it says, "Thus saith the Lord: Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls." But they said, "We will not walk in it." You see what they were. Refused to do as God had commanded them to do or had asked them to do. He says, I want you to stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. What does that mean? He means go back to what I taught you in the beginning. Go back to what you're supposed to be doing. Go back to the law. Go back to following uh, after me and praying unto me. That's what God is wanting them to do. He wants them to repent. Seek the old paths. In the restoration movement. That's exactly what our plea was and what it should be even today. You know, the restoration is still going on. We talk about the restoration movement in the church, but it's still going on. 
The restoration movement simply means to restore New Testament Christianity. You know, there's a lot of people out there say, you can't do that. We can't do that today. We can't, we can't have New Testament Christianity today because look how different we are. Look how much our culture has changed. You don't think we can? You don't think Christianity was established for mankind for all time? I do. New Testament Christianity. What do we say? Back to the Bible. Let's go back to what the Bible teaches, not what men teach, not what traditions teach. Let's go back to the Bible. So that's what we're doing. This is the same thing he's saying. Seek the old paths. Where is the good way? Let's go back to what we were taught from the beginning. Let's go back to what God's word says and not what people say. We don't need creeds. We don't need any of that other stuff. We don't need special prayer books. What we need is God's word. We need to get back into the scripture. Back into what God has given us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Jesus died so that we could have this. So that we could have the gospel. That's what he died for. So that we would know what God wanted us to do. We would know how to be pleasing unto God. We've got to get back to that. I believe this congregation does. I believe we're headed in that direction. We are in the process of establishing New Testament Christianity. But we're not complete, but we're not totally there yet. So we have to keep working at it. We have to keep striving to be what God wants us to be. Go back. Go back to the old paths. Where is the good way? Chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 20, 22. I think this, this, this is one of the most chilling parts of this. Uh, if I can find it. <clears throat> Jeremiah had been preaching to them. They had heard all this. This is, this is a very uh, well-known, well-known verse. Verse 20 of chapter 8. He says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Verse 21, for the hurt of my daughter, of of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning, astonishment has taken hold of me. This is Jeremiah talking. Verse 22, there is no balm in Gilead. There is no physician there. Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? You know what he's telling them? There comes a time, and you're approaching it. You're getting close to this when repentance will be impossible, when you will not be able to repent. You know, God calls all of us to repent. We, uh, even as Christians, we need to repent of our sins. When we commit a sin, we need to repent of it. You know, that's what we're instructed to do. In John chapter 1, uh, verses, First uh, John chapter 1, uh, he talks about that. He says, walk in the light as he's in the light. You have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sins. And he tells us to confess our sins one to another. And we have to repent of sins as we commit them. Let's keep ourselves in a right relationship with God. 
But for those people outside of Christ, there is a time coming when they won't be able to repent. When they can't. And I'm not talking about the judgment day here. I'm talking about a a condition of the heart that happens in people to when they keep refusing it and refusing it and refusing it. And each time their heart gets hardened, harder and harder until they find a time when they can't repent. You know, if we look over in Hebrews 12, verses 16 and 17, the Hebrew writer talks about Esau there. He says he's a profane person like Esau, a disgusting person like Esau. Why was he so disgusting? Because when it finally he realized what he had done, when he finally realized how far he was away from God, he could no longer repent. He had passed the point of repentance. He looked for a place to repent with tears, but he couldn't find it. Rather than the gospel in our service to God is something that has to be ongoing all the time. There could be a time when we get so far away from God that we can't come back. We can't. There is a cliff there that we can fall over and be lost. Be lost. Our God is a loving God, a God of second chances. You know, I had a friend who wrote a song like that called A God of Second Chances, a good friend of mine. He was a songwriter and a poet, and that's what it was about. Our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God that is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should be perished, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. But there is a limit. There is a point of no return. There is a point when our hearts become so hardened, that we become so calloused toward the truth, that we can't repent. We need to be careful about that. And we need to recognize this in people. There are people we know that should come to Christ, that should come and confess their sins, that should come and be baptized into Jesus, that are just not going to ever do it. And we need to recognize that and move on. Move on. Chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. This is, this is personal about with Jeremiah. This is his personal feelings. You know, Jeremiah, like Paul, Jeremiah suffered a lot. He became an outcast among his own people. He became a traitor to them. They looked upon him as a traitor. He was telling them that they needed to surrender. They needed to quit uh, trying to uh, overcome the Babylonians. You can't do it. God is behind this. You can't overcome these people. Uh, This is God's judgment coming upon you, and you can't stop it. And Jeremiah became like, you know, uh, a pariah among the people. He was mistreated terribly, as many of the prophets were. And he says in verse 15 of chapter 15, he says, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me 
the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. And then he goes on and says, I didn't sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream and waters that fail? Jeremiah's suffering, and he's asking God like Job. He's saying, why? Why do I have to suffer so much? Why do I have to become an outcast among my own people? He said, I I love your word. I took it in. I ate it up. And now I'm being persecuted. Persecuted terribly. In verse 20, God tells him he's going to defend him. God's going to take care of him. I'm going to fight against those who fight against you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. In verse 21, he says, I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. We have to understand whatever we have to deal with here on this earth, whatever we have to deal with, whatever trials, tribulations, and difficulties, especially if we're being tried because we're Christians, because we're trying to follow the truth, especially for that, that in the end, We will be the victors. In the end, there is victory in Jesus. You know, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's not about all these terrible, you know, these are symbols showing the conditions of the world. The terrible conditions within the world. But for us, it's the victory song. Paul said in the end of Romans chapter 8, he said, you, after he talked about the the love of Christ that cannot be taken from us, he says, you are more than conquerors through him that loved you. The message, of course, is to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're going to win in the end. Jeremiah, you will be a conqueror. They will go into captivity. And you eventually will be killed. (laughs) But you will win in the end because you have done my way. You have done my righteousness. You have spoken my word to all those others. It's a wonderful story. And it's a very difficult story. The last chapter that we want to look at is we have to skip over quite a bit because you can't study Jeremiah without bringing this particular area out. And this is in chapter 31 and begins in verse 31. This is the new covenant. We have to understand that God gave this this covenant here in the Old Testament. This is the covenant of the church. This has to do not with uh, Israel and Judah, not with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, even though those are mentioned and talked about in chapter 31. He talks about Judah and and and. Uh, Israel, the northern kingdom and southern, being reunited into one people again. That's what he's talking about there. If we read that and don't see that he's really talking about the church, then we're, we're, we're really missing the point. Because the northern kingdom did not exist anymore and never would. Judah, the Jews... We're never united 
with them. And that would never happen. So what is God talking about? When he mentions both Judah and Ephraim, uh, Ephraim being the dominant tribe of the northern kingdom, he's talking about all of God's people united again, united together under one leader. And that leader is Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 26 and 28, when he was giving the Lord's Supper to them, when he was uh, instituting the Lord's Supper, when he took the cup, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus instituted the new covenant, this new covenant, by his death on the cross. He shed his blood there so that it would be. Verse 31, we read that. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It means all of God's people. That's what he's talking about. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land and lead them from the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. This is a covenant that I will make. With the house of Israel, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That describes the church. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Those that are under that covenant, you will know God because you're going to know Jesus Christ. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. That did not happen under the old covenant, but it only happens under the new covenant where God washes away your sins and remembers them no more. It's a wonderful thing to be in a covenant relationship with God. It's a wonderful thing because we have such a wonderful Lord That's is why this is mentioned and talked about in Hebrews 8, verse 17 through 13, guaranteeing us that this is a New Testament covenant. This is talking about the church, and it's talking about you and me. That we're in a covenant relationship with God. God will keep his promises to us, but we must remain faithful. You know, God doesn't ask you to go out and do something you can't do. What God commands of you is... To be faithful. That's what he wants. That's what he wants from you. He doesn't want anything great from you. You do what you have to do. Producing fruit to God. By being faithful to him in all your doings. That's all he asks. If you had some need this morning. We're here to help you in any way. That we possibly can. If you need to be baptized into Christ. We can accomplish that this morning. And you can become a new creature, born again, putting off the old man and becoming a new person in in Christ Jesus. If you need to repent of sin, if you need any prayers of the church for any reason, won't you come now as we stand and sing? We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, 
please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.